0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this morning we're continuing the series we began last week. We're calling Our Prayer. And it's an examination of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and one of the key things we talked about last week is it's often referred to as our Father' prayer or um, the Lord's prayer, but it's really not the Lord's prayer. It's it's our prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus gave his followers, and and in a way of teaching us how to pray. And and for those of you who aren't familiar, the this prayer in Matthew's gospel um, is given right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And and if you don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is, um, you're not alone. Actually, I read of a Gallup poll a number of years back now, and they actually asked people, you know, what was the Sermon on the Mount? Nobody knew who gave the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, the number one answer in people polled who preached the Sermon on the Mount was Billy Graham. And it wasn't Billy Graham. And then actually there was 20, 20, somewhere between 20, 25% of those polled thought it was a, a sermon that was given on horseback. on horseback, Sermon on the Mount. Seriously, that was honest, honest truth. So I'm going to tell you this morning, it wasn't given by Billy Graham and it wasn't given on the back of a horse. It was given by Jesus on a hillside and and it was instructions about the kingdom of God. And so that's a particularly relevant because the portion we're going to talk about this morning is that one section where it says, when we're taught to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is it that we're praying when we pray that prayer. And um, we talked a little bit last week about how this prayer has become so familiar to us. And and, and if you learned, learned it growing up in church or in Sunday school, it just becomes something that we just do by rote. And so uh, last week we introduced a, a kind of a newer version to kind of shake it up a little bit and make you think a little bit more about what you're praying. And, and actually a number of people came to me after the sermon uh, and asked, where can we get a copy of that prayer? Um, and people throughout the week have been asking, you know, how can we get a copy? So we put a copy of that prayer up online on our website. But we also printed out some this morning. So uh, if you want to stop by the help desk, you can pick up one of these little cards. And it has it for you. It's just a, a fresh way of approaching um, Our prayer. So this morning, we're going to stand together like we did last week. And we're going to pray together this prayer that Jesus taught us. Our prayer. And we're going to do the newer version of it. So if you would, we're going to put it up on the screen. And let's pray together. Dear Father, who is always with us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the things we need today to accomplish your will. Forgive us our sins as we are forgiving those who have offended us. Keep us clear of temptation near you through life's trials and safe from evil because you are the one in charge. The glory is yours forever, which is just the way we want it. Now, there's no amen there because that's what... Just the way we want it means. Okay? That, that's what amen means. This is what we agreed to. This is what we are praying together. So, Lord, that's just the way that we want it. You may I have a seat? So, I said that this, uh, this whole section of, the, of this prayer has to do with, with really the bigger context of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's a whole, whole series of sermons in itself. So we got a lot of territory we're going to cover this morning. And, and really, the, in, in prepping this message and thinking about it, praying over it, the biggest thing was, what do I cut out? Because <laughs> there's so much there. And, and how do we approach this? And, and what I decided to do is, let's, let's approach it from those questions that always come up when we pray. When we talk about prayer, because there are those questions that come up all the time, and we're going to address three of those key questions that come up when we talk about prayer. And the first question is probably the most common, and it really goes to the one that that we're going to talk about this morning. It says, if I'm praying that God will do what he's already going to do, then why pray? Why do we pray your will be done? I mean, if God's going to do what he's going to do, why are we asking Him to do what He's going to do anyway? It just doesn't make much sense. So then what's the whole point of prayer? And that's a very important question. Because when you talk about prayer any time, one of the big questions is, how does it work? Does it work? Why do we do it? Does it really make a difference? Does it change God's mind? What is it all about? What is prayer all about? And when Jesus brings us at the beginning of this prayer and tells us to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven What is it that we're praying? And why are we bothering to pray that? He taught us to pray, your will be done. Now, part of that question really comes from a misperception of what prayer is all about. Because very often what we think of prayer is, it's a transaction. I ask God for something and he gives it back to me or not. (laughs) And, and when we think of prayer as a transaction, then it becomes all, all on us. Well, maybe I'm not asking the right way. Maybe I'm not using the proper technique. Maybe I'm not asking hard enough or often enough. And, and so we get, really, we get these mind trips about prayer. I know some people who can only pray in King James English. If you're not addressing God as thee and thou... The prayer doesn't count you know like somehow he only speaks king james english was came like thousands of years after jesus so how does you know where do we get that idea or or sometimes i i I had a friend who said you know i believe you only pray once because if you really believe and you're asking god for something then all you got to do is ask once and you ask once and then after that you just praise and thank him for the answer whether it comes or not, you know, and, and that, that's because to not do that, to pray over and over again shows lack of faith and God's not going to answer your prayer because you don't have enough faith. And, and see, when we think of prayer as technique or we think of it as a transaction or some magical incantation, and it's all about me getting God to do what I want him to do or talking him into it or somehow earning it from him because I asked just the right way, we have lost the essence of prayer. We we misunderstood what prayer is all about because prayer is not about magical incantations. Prayer is not about technique. Prayer is not about convincing God to do something for us. Prayer is primarily about relationship. It's conversation. And I think many people, many of us get frustrated in our own prayers or, or lack of prayer. Because we don't understand that this is a conversation or it doesn't feel like a conversation. And that's why we said last week, Jesus made such an emphasis to start the prayer, Our Father, because we want to know we're praying to someone who is a person. That He's a person who cares for us and loves us. And we are taught from the beginning to address Him, our Heavenly Father. Because He wants us to know this is personal, this is conversation. And we talked about that a lot last week. So if it's conversation and it's all just about relationship, well, then again, the question still remains. Why do we pray? Why do we ask God to do something that's already in his will and he's already going to do anyway? It is relationship, but the relationship is that we are drawn into a partnership with him. And that's what, what this is all about. That we are praying to a God who has invited us to be a part of what He is doing in this world. And that's what we are praying for when we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. We are addressing a heavenly Father. And it's important that we understand that. Uh, story is that when the two, Walt Disney's two daughters were growing up, they had no idea their dad was famous. He kind of kept that. He kind of kept his, his work life a little bit separate from his family life because he, he didn't want his kids to be kind of traumatized by all of that. I don't know. But, but for the longest time, they had no idea that their dad was famous. And, and the story is told that one of his daughters, when talking with her friends, found out that her dad was the Walt Disney. She came home one day and she said, Dad, you didn't tell me you were that Walt Disney. <laughs> she didn't know who her dad was. And sometimes... We don't know who our dad is. We don't realize who our heavenly father really is. And what he has invited us into when he invites us into this partnership. Jesus said to his disciples, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And the second part of that is, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That for some reason, God has invited us into this partnership with him. And He has given us these keys, and we are a part of what He is doing in this world. And when we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. What's happening is we're, we're, we're joining into partnership with what God is doing in this world. And He's inviting us to be a part of His work. And that is very, very powerful stuff. Philip Yancey writes a story of his pastor, who was who was putting in new stone steps in their yard and you know each of these stones weighed between 100 and 200 pounds and his five-year-old daughter was watching them and she wanted to help daddy build stone steps and so he said to her well he said why don't you just sing and that'll keep me happy and that'll help me do the work better and she said no 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 I want to help And so where it was safe, he allowed her to kind of help and he'd get the stones into position and have her come like right between his arms. Okay, we're going to push together and push the stones into place. And he admits afterwards, he says, you know, without her, I could have had it done a lot faster and it would have probably turned out a lot better. But I came away with a daughter who said, I helped daddy build steps. And the relationship that happened because of that was far more important some ways, in the steps themselves. And in essence, what God is inviting us to do is to help build the kingdom. That He's given us this part of it. That God has chosen to do His work to bring His kingdom through you and through me. And in prayer, what we do is, part of what happens is we are joining in a partnership. But it's a partnership that grows out of a relationship. And what happens in that is it changes our perspective. That we start caring about the things that God cares about. And it's like God is waiting for us to finally finally come around to His way of thinking. And prayer becomes much less about me getting God to see things my way and my learning how to see things from God's perspective. And so when we pray, your will be done, that makes us stop and think, what is God's will in this situation? Now, in some situations, we don't know what that is. But, but it does cause us to stop and think, what would God have done in these circumstances? Because if I'm praying for His will be done, not as an out, just in case He doesn't answer the prayer I want to, but, and kind of as an afterthought, but, you know, but, but more as an active involvement in my prayer. God, what are you doing here? How do you want to work through these circumstances? What, what, what do you want to accomplish in this situation? Paul wrote to the Roman church, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That when we pray, one of the things that happens is that we are transformed from spoiled, demanding children to kingdom-thinking adults. And that's part of what's happening when we pray. So when we pray, your will be done. It's not useless stuff. We are bringing our hearts in line with God's heart. We are learning to care about the things that God cares about. We begin to yearn for the things that God yearns for. Our hearts begin to get broken about the things that break God's heart. And we are drawn deeper into a relationship and into partnership with what He's doing. So that's what we're doing. We're not just asking God to do what He's already going to do. We are asking to become a part of what he's doing in this world. That's what it means to pray, your will be done. Here's a second question. Okay, so when we pray, your kingdom come, what is it that we're really looking for? Again, these are words that we mouth all the time, but what is it that we mean by that? When we're praying, your kingdom come, what are the things that we're looking for? How do we know if the kingdoms come? Because that's what we're taught to pray. Your kingdom come. Now, again, when we pray that, very often our perception of heaven and God's kingdom is it's somewhere far, far, far away. Way off somewhere beyond the galaxies. That's the heaven. And that's where we're going to go when we die. And mostly when we talk about heaven, we are talking about a place we are going to. Right? And, 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 and so what that means is that very often in Christian circles, what we portray to people is Really, the kingdom of heaven is just all about avoiding hell and, and getting into heaven when we die. You know, or like the bumper sticker says, eternity, smoking or non-smoking, you know? I mean, we reduce it to just simplistic little things like that. And then it's all about. And so when we talk about kingdom, come, what we're doing is we're saying, OK, what's the minimum entry requirements? What do I have to do to get in? But you see, when we're praying, Thy kingdom come, we're not praying about where we're going to go because we get a little confused about our comings and goings. What we're praying for is His kingdom to come here, for, for His will to be done here. That this world would be transformed by God's presence in this world. See, that's what Jesus proclaimed. Jesus didn't proclaim about getting into heaven. He proclaimed about the kingdom of God is near. Over and over and over again through the gospels, you see it. One of them is in Luke 10. He says, be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, what that means is that the kingdom of God is now readily available to any and all. Literally, it's not just... It's come close by, or it's almost here. Literally, it means the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of God, and they're interchangeable throughout the Gospels. That the kingdom of God has come. Now, that's not a new thing, because God's kingdom has always been. We're not praying for something new to happen. But when we're talking about that, what we're talking about is where God rules and reigns. Where what God wants to happen actually happens. And so we're not praying for something new to begin because Jesus said it has already come. What we are praying for is that that would become an actual reality in our lives and in the world around us. That makes sense? We are praying that what God wants done would truly be what is done. Now, the problem is that there are other kingdoms See, the kingdom of God has already come. The kingdom of God has already begun. That's what Jesus' announcement was. But there are other kingdoms. Each and every one of us have a kingdom. We do. There is the kingdom of Ken. Because the kingdom of Ken is where I, what gets done is what I want done. For instance, the kingdom of Ken. I get into my car. And, and the mirrors are adjusted exactly to me and the push buttons on my radio are set to my stations and the seat is perfectly positioned and the steering wheel is at the right height and there are no in and out wrappers in my car. Why? Why? Because it's the kingdom of can. It's my kingdom. I come to my office. I walk in the door and my office is set up just the way that I want it. My library and all the books are just where I can find them. There are notes by my telephone. There are letters addressed to Ken Jensen. Why? Because that's my kingdom. You see? I go home and I walk through the door and the slippers are laid out for me right there at the front door (laughs) and the easy chair is set and the aroma, sweet aroma of steaks are grilling why? Because I've walked into somebody else's house. That's why. But the point is, we all have our kingdoms. See, we do. We all have our kingdoms. Our own little kingdoms. It's where we want, what we want done is what gets done. Our way. And, 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 and when two kingdoms come together in a marriage, there's some clash. But eventually, the kingdom of Ken and the kingdom of Betty become the kingdom of the Jensen family. And we have kids with their own little kingdoms that need adjusting. (laughs) (laughs) And we have neighborhoods where other kingdoms begin. And societies and countries and nationalities. There are all these other kingdoms, see? See? And what Jesus is saying is when the kingdom has come, and when we are praying, Thy kingdom come, what we are saying is, Lord, bring your will to bear on my life. Because I don't know about you, but the kingdom of Ken is a pretty puny little kingdom. But when I start to pray, Lord, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. You know what happens with the kingdom of Ken? It actually gets a lot bigger. Because now it's a part of God's kingdom. And my prayer for His kingdom to come is that my life would be so changed that what God wants done gets done in me and through me. And what God wants done in this world gets done through me in some way. Because if you look around, see, all those other kingdoms are called the kingdoms of this world. That's the way Scripture refers to them. And that's why the great revelation comes that the king, at the end of time, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. And that is our heart's cry. Because the truth of the matter is when God's kingdom comes, then life is the way it was meant to be. When God's kingdom comes into my life, then my life becomes what it was designed to be. When God's kingdom comes into your life, your life gets better and bigger. Because what God wants done becomes done in you. And when we are praying, Your kingdom come, that's what we are praying about. That this kingdom now has begun and it is now available. It's not fully realized, but it is now available. And so when he starts the, the Sermon on the Mount and he starts with um, what are called the Beatitudes, and maybe you're familiar with this, maybe you're not, mm-hmm. um, but, but he talks about, um, Blessed are those, both blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I kind of grew up in Sunday school, and and these things were called the B attitudes. Anybody else hear that phrase? Okay, And, And the idea was that I need to be more like this. I need to be more poor in spirit. I need to be more weak because that's who gets blessed. And if I want God's blessing, then i got to try harder at being meek. i got to try harder at being merciful. But that's not what Jesus is doing. This is not about try harder. What he's doing is he's making an announcement that the kingdom of God has come to the spiritual nobodies. To the people who think they are aced out. Who have no place in the kingdom of God. Jesus is announcing is blessed are you because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt, the outers, the, 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 those who don't know anything about God. Blessed are you because the kingdom has come to you. Blessed are those who mourn, the heartbroken, the those who've been beat up by life, whose life is so far down that they see no hope and no purpose anymore. In the kingdom, you're comforted. Because God can take the heartbreaks of your life. And bring good. Blessed are the merciful. The merciful. Who are always given and never thanked in return. Who are always giving up. Who are always reaching up. Who are are taken advantage of. Blessed are you. Blessed are you because the kingdom has come and the merciful will be shown mercy. God will take care of you. Other people might abuse you. Other people might walk all over you. Other people might take advantage of you. But God will take care of you because you are merciful and the kingdom of God has come to you. And God will show you his mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who know there is something better for their lives but they don't even know what it looks like. And they long for it. But feel somehow disqualified. Blessed are you, blessed are you, because the kingdom of God has come. And those who hunger and thirst for something different will be filled and satisfied. And on and on it goes. He is not telling us, here's what you got to do to get God's blessing. He is making announcement that the kingdom of God has come. And this is what it looks like. And no matter who you are, no matter how mixed up, messed up, jumped up your life might be, no matter how you might think you are damaged goods and you've got no place in this kingdom, the kingdom is for you. It's for you. There is no human condition that disqualifies you anymore from the kingdom of heaven. And that was completely different than what the Pharisees were teaching. Because the Pharisees were teaching, these are the steps and these are the hoops and these are the hurdles and these are the laws and this is what you got to do. Jesus comes and he says, nah, kingdom of heaven is for everybody. And when we pray, your kingdom come. Part of what we are praying is, God, may we be the kind of people who accept everybody just the way that they are. May we as a church be the kind of community that everyone feels accepted and welcomed and a part. No matter what else the world might have told them. No matter what else other Christians might have told them. No matter how else they have been made to feel by religious people. May we be the community that they find you That's what we're praying. That's powerful stuff, folks. That's not just words we memorize and rattle off by rote. What we are praying for is a reality of God's kingdom to be in us and through us and into our communities. And that's what we're asking God to do. See, when we pray your kingdom, God, we're not asking God for something, we are giving Him something. And the something we are giving Him is ourselves. We are enlisting in his kingdom and wanting to be a part of it. And that's what it means when we pray, Your kingdom come. And the last question it goes to that last part. If God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, what does that mean? What does it mean? He asks us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, since we are now partners in God's kingdom come, now now we enter into partnership. What we are praying is a little bit of up there begins to become a reality down here. Not only in our own lives, but through us into our communities, into our world. Jesus put it this way, that we are kingdom bringers. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, too many Christians, too many Christians, I think, have this idea of salt and light. Like, salt is to be irritating. You know, as salt, it's our job to rub it in people's wounds. And we've gotten pretty good at that. Or to be the light of the world means to be that searchlight that just blindly points out everybody's faults, mistakes, and failures. That's our job as light. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Not, not in his context. Saying, You are salt, you are the preservative, you, you bring flavor to this world. You help bring cleansing. You are the light of the world. You bring radiance and warmth and clarity. That's who you are. That's who you are. And you know that because he goes on, he says, so let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He says, that's the intent. That people would look at us, and I've said this before, that they would look at us and say, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I sure want what they got. That we make a difference in our world, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, on our jobs, in our families, wherever it might be. It brings just a little bit of taste of flavor of God's kingdom. To just be a little light of safety in a dark, dark world. That's the distinguishing characteristic, he says, of the kingdom of God they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven and so yes that comes down to how we help our friends discover the life that christ has for them how we share that message of grace so that they would have an eternity with god i'm not discounting that at all that's a very important part of it but it's just not all of it because it's also then how do we bring his kingdom to bear here on this earth And it's not just about standing on a street corner and preaching. It's about extending the kingdom of God. And so when wells are drilled in Uganda because people walked for water and raised the funds, we are bringing a little bit of the kingdom here. When you give to the dollar club and a family in need gets help in a substantial way, that is bringing the kingdom to bear in this world. Because that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about loving and caring and extending. Yes, it's about my relationship with God, but it's about my relationship with other people as well. When our women gather together like they did yesterday and they sew 49 dresses for girls in Uganda, that's bringing the kingdom. When members of our church mentor at Liberty High School and help help a a student that is failing and probably not even going to graduate, make it through and get... a a high school diploma and, and help them rearrange their life and redirect their lives. That's bringing the kingdom of God. When people in our church, once a month, join with First Baptist Church in Philemon and serve the hungry and the needy, that is bringing the kingdom of God. And sometimes we think if we're not preaching that we're not really bringing the kingdom. It's all bringing the kingdom. Do you get that? It's not just preaching and it's not just doing good. It's both it's both and sometimes i think we got to do a lot more good deeds just so that people will listen to the good news but that's the kingdom of god and so when we pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's what we're praying for That's the distinguishing characteristic. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus went on in the sermon to talk about this. He said, it changes everything. He said, you have heard it said, love your your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Why? Because that's the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, that's how people relate to each other. And and there might be people who hate you, who fight against you, who are your pain in the neck at work. But we're going to love them anyway. Why? Because that's the kingdom of God. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. I might get taken advantage of him that way. Yes, you might, but that's the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, revenge doesn't get the last word. In the kingdoms of this world, that's how it operates. In the kingdoms of this world, we hate our enemies. We get back at our enemies. Somebody does us bad, we don't get mad, we get even. Not so in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is different. And the why the reason we do that is so that our Heavenly Father would be glorified and his kingdom would come. See, there's all kinds of these things. He keeps going. If anyone forces you to go mile, go one mile, go with them two miles. Go the extra mile. Don't do the bare minimum. Don't do just what's required. of Do more. Why? Because you are bringing the kingdom of God to this world. Because that's what life in the kingdom looks like. Now, our problem is, it's not that we don't know that information. problem is, how do we do it? Just briefly, by a show of hands this morning. How many of you have a little bit of trouble with that kind of stuff? Oh, I'm the only one? All right, let's try this again. We're going to be honest here, okay? How many have a little bit of trouble loving your enemies? Oh, All right, it's more like it. How many have a little trouble turning the other cheek? How many have a little bit of trouble going the extra mile? Let me let you in on a secret. Not only is it difficult, it's impossible. <laughs> It's impossible. In our own strength and in our own abilities, it is impossible because there's this kingdom of Ken. (laughs) And the kingdom of of heaven hasn't quite fully come into the kingdom of Ken yet. And the kingdom of Ken is about getting even, about looking out for number one. So I pray, God, God, May your kingdom come and overthrow the kingdom of Ken and the kingdom of John, the kingdom of George, the kingdom of Sue, so on and so on. That's what we're praying so that a little bit of up there becomes a reality down here. And we can't do it on our own strength. This is a God project. But he has invited us into partnership in it. And in partnership with him, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you bow your heads with me?